Cut It Go Go, a show that brings education to your ears and meta-mastery to your assessments. With several insightful interviews, today's episode explores that question of uncertainty on every educator's mind. What's the plan for fall? Cut It Go Go, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. When creating the testing seems tough, ExamSoft gives you rainbows so you can pass your students with flying colors. Hey, Education Nation. Welcome back for another episode of Pedagogo. This week, we're continuing the conversation around fall semester or fall sequester, making the academic year a success. The impetus for these episodes was my desire to phone a friend and ask them, what in the heck is your plan to succeed in fall? And so I did just that. Today, I sit down with John Murray, provost at Barry University, and Aaron Sear, Director of Assessment and Evaluation at Arizona College. To kick us off this week, let's take a listen to my conversation with John. Thanks for having me on. My name is John Murray, and I am the provost at Barry University in Miami, Florida. I've been here for almost four years. Uh, Prior to being provost, I served as Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences at Indiana State University in Terre Haute, Indiana. Barry is about 50% undergraduate students and 50% graduate students. We have a law school. We have a school of podiatric medicine. And everybody is, you know, gearing towards celebrating the end of the academic year. So I love that. And that's what's going on right now this week. Talk to me a little about how you're looking at fall. We're, we're thinking a lot about it. It is our intention to return to on-campus classes in the fall and to do that in the context of being safe for our students, mm-hmm. faculty, and staff, really our entire university community. We are taking in information, just like everybody, from our federal level, state, local level. How can we function now? And then how can we potentially function in the fall? And creating contingency plans for a variety of scenarios. Yes, absolutely. I echo that hope for you and for everybody that we can be back safely and in what feels more normal. John, you bring up a a good point, your contingency plans. Just talk me through some of your contingency plans. Yes, well, thank you for the question. And we are very much in the thick of, of doing this. And we're engaging in really vigorous contingency scenario planning. I think when you have a big institution with lots of people and an organization, you have to really take things in pieces. And that's really what we're doing. We've created a set of task forces and uh, I'm in charge of the, the academic planning one, but we have to think of other ones too. We have to have a health task force, which takes into account if it's very, very dangerous, if there are still, Mm -hmm. if we still have to be in a remote environment and you have to stay in lockdown, then what do we do there? If Mm -hmm. we can free that up a little bit and be face-to-face, then as you pointed out, how many people can be in a room? Uh, Do we need Mm -hmm. to wear masks? Do we need to schedule class? I mean, it's going to point to the group that I'm working with, which would be heavy concentration on scheduling Mm -hmm. or Uh how we would interact with one another and which people may need to stay home if they're a vulnerable population. So we're Mm -hmm. working together to come up with that portfolio of plans that can help us go from all the way from completely remote to completely face-to-face and everything in between. How is Barry University, how is your office defining success for fall? It's a great question. And one I think we should always be asking ourselves. I think we would define success as strong enrollment 
continued service okay. to our campus community. Uh, that's really a, uh, very, very important to Barry, to keep our campus community alive and, and to help us do mm-hmm. what we do best. Which is, you know, that's why we're here. So success would be mm-hmm. strong enrollment, continued service. That being said, though, success is also supporting, connecting, informing our community through this mm-hmm. time of disruption. It truly has been unprecedented. Absolutely. We've never had to We've never been in situations like this before or any situation. So we really have to take care of one another. So I think that should be part of success Mm -hmm. as well. We are a human organization and just Mm -hmm. beyond just doing what we're supposed to do as per our business model, we're also a group of people that really have a connection with one another and communication under these stressful times is just really, really critical for that. Talk to me a little bit about the plans to maintain rigor or if any of your programs are trying to get or maintain accreditation in this online environment, uh, what have discussions around that looked like? Because this is certainly a novel challenge. Absolutely. You're so right. It has been very much on the top burner of conversations I have with the team that I work with, which is really the academic deans and and our faculty senate. And we want to make sure that we're delivering the quality education that students have come to expect. Uh, We want to make sure that we're doing that, even though our platform has had to change a little bit. We have to make sure that we're keeping things as rigorous and, and high quality as we can possibly do that. We've done a number of things, certainly keeping that at the forefront of our conversations. It it just naturally has gone there, just as we've had to adjust to a remote delivery. Upcome Mm -hmm. issues that would that would really interact with the notion of quality. Let's say proctoring, right? Exam proctoring. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, of mm-hmm. course, a number of programs that involve very high stakes tests, board exams or pre-board exams. Mm-hmm. You know, in our law school or with our podiatry school, for example, we found when we went remote and we did not have the ability for, for, to be on campus, normally proctoring mm-hmm. would have taken place on campus and we would have right. faculty and, and people to observe students taking tests. Well, suddenly that went out the window. And so we had to come up with a new solution. Uh, We had to get software and tools to help us with that. That was an adjustment, but it's very much tied to your question about quality and accreditation. We want to make sure that we're doing what we need to do. So we really had to pivot in that situation and use that problem. It was really reminding me of, that's just an example of of, of one of many issues that have to do with quality. So there was the proctoring issue. Other conversations that we would have that center around quality is what we're doing here is we are, you know, saying and working with the deans who work with the faculty, we are delivering academic instruction here. Mm -hmm. You know, it happens to be in a particular kind of platform, but it is still high quality. We still need to pay attention to how we're doing what we're doing, making sure we are uh, gauging how well students are learning and and, and adjusting accordingly, just like we would be doing face-to-face. So I think we have to be sensitive to that as we move into the fall, right? In fact, I think we... I wouldn't say we do it anymore because we've been doing it enormously, but it's it continues to be very, very important to be able to know that you're engaging in good, solid, quality instruction and doing what you need to do mm-hmm. to maintain your accreditation. Absolutely. What considerations did you take into account? There's tons of proctoring services out there. It's challenging to certainly squeeze in a new tool or resource into the budget, but it sounds like proctoring became an evident need. 
It was huge. It was kind of an emergency. I mean, we had a particular model that we were using and then up came mm-hmm. these scheduled exams that had to be done. So I think well, I go to the experts, my team who, who does this, and it mm-hmm. has to interact with our LMS. It has to um, mm-hmm. be accessible. It has to be doable by our students. And I mean, it, right. of course, it, in retrospect, it's like, well, we just kind of did it and we sailed through it. It really, none of that is easy because First of all, That's just right. discovering you have the problem is associated with probably a lot of drama. And it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. we're, we need to fix this. And how are we going to do this? So you have to come together. You have to engage in problem solving. You have to pull in numbers of people from across campus. Well, we have our distance learning right. team, our, our student affairs folks, our students, and the folks in the academic side who are closest to them. You have to pull all of those people together in order to hear each other and to be able to vet the right, first of all, air the problem and clarify it and then come up with the um, options that you've got in front of you. And of course, there's a budgetary issue. How are we going to mm-hmm. do this? And of course, as you brought it up budgetarily, it's a scary time. You don't want to spend money mm-hmm. that you don't can't count on or, or you know, you want mm-hmm. to just be very, very careful of your resources. Yeah. How confident are you that the proctoring software was was worth the budgetary expense in the realm of all possible needs that could be satisfied? Are you satisfied with spending money for that tool? We definitely had to do it. So, yeah. Yeah, although maybe in the end, you know, go several months out and see what we could have spent money on and all this. But this was really something that had to happen. Uh, these right. are, it met an immediate need. Yeah, it, it met an immediate need that was not going away and that needed to be done. Um, and so I will... I'm, I'm confident that that investment was necessary and, and it worked. We right. were able to do that. And of course, we're still in the middle of it, right? Awesome. We're not done. Right, right. When you have a medical school, like we have a podiatric medical school, we are now in a different kind of reality. We have students that have to, mm-hmm. we have to abide by certain kinds of standards of the way that they're tested in the high stakes exams. And just not in that program, but in others, once, others as well. So John, how did your implementation go with, you, you basically, you know, had this sudden need you pulled together your team and kind of built this use case quickly and kind of talked to all your stakeholders. Um, how did implementation mm-hmm. go in, in such a fast turnaround? Were you able to get success yeah. in a fairly short time period? It it went well, thank goodness. I won't say it went completely smoothly because there's a lot of negotiation and a lot of problem solving. So sometimes it That's feels right. when you're in a situation like that, it's one step forward, two steps back. But in the end, you just persevere and uh, support one another and get the right information. So in the end, we made I'll say the purchases, and then we had to get the mm-hmm. the support, right? The technical support. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to tell people how to use it and how to convey mm-hmm. all the all the parts of this orchestra that have to come together in order to make this work. So that's how you manage when the when tensions are high and your environment has been compromised, like in the case of the COVID right. crisis. Right. We've and, and this is a good example of that. But the team really worked well together. Yeah. Oh, that feels good that you can rely on them and when push comes to shove. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to kind of purchase tools or resources or solutions? Is it possible to fix the problems in real time and in a way that it, that works? In this case, we're all in a sea here of 
disruption. The situation with the proctoring is an example of having mm-hmm. to make a purchase, adjust what you're doing in order to work. Maybe a year from now, I'll look at this as a fairly small issue that comes up. But in right. the moment, it never feels like that. And I live in that That's world right. of back-to-back Zoom calls um, and constant phone calls and struggling with working together in a way that you're not used to when you really could use the face-to-face right. connection. Uh, it's very frustrating and very isolating and and it can feel hopeless. That's a right. serious word, but I think at, the, at its worst, it can feel that way. How do you manage decisions in the context of not knowing? And that can feel very That's unnerving right. and disruptive. So, so I think if we're talking about kind of a, from a leadership perspective, it's a matter of breathing. Don't go down that rabbit hole because it's really hard to come back yeah. and it's not all that productive. Just keep keep pushing along, keep asking questions, lay it out on the table, problem solve as you can, and realize it's not all going to be perfect because, I mean, we're not aiming for perfection at this point. We're aiming for getting on the other side. I love that. Uh, it's just great to hear wow. you saying to breathe, keep pushing, keep moving forward, um, keep working together and just solve the problems that are in front of you. Yeah. And keep perspective. That's another thing that's helpful. Not all problems are that? enormous. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, especially when you're really stressed out and when it's when it really is a big deal uh, and you don't right. know. And, right. it, and is, yeah. you've got all these possible things in front of you. It's like, gosh, it could be a complete train wreck or we might not have a train wreck. Right. And when you don't know, you catastrophize. I think recognizing right. that um, catastrophizing is a little helpful, but it isn't all that helpful when you're trying to solve some problems. So you need to be able to know when that's happening and recognize it for what it is and then step back and say, wait a minute, I may not be able to handle and manage the massive problem, but I can fix this one small thing that's in front of me now and work with others. Anyway, I sound like a Hallmark card, uh, but these are true these are, this is, we're all living this. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. helpful to hear other people say that. And, you know, you got to reach out for support to get questions answered. You don't have to know everything. Uh, Ask the right people to to help get you down the path of, of solutions. Looking forward, out of all of COVID's disruption, are there any silver linings for Barry University? Wow. I love that question. And you know what? I've thought about it a lot and throughout this whole experience, I think there's a lot of silver linings here. And one I'll just reach to is taking a really good look at what we were able to do. I think one silver lining is how uh, one of them is about the community and the community came together. I was a provost and then as a former dean, I remember mm-hmm. trying to get initiatives off the ground and and they require uh, sometimes some arm twisting and some negotiation and some working <laughs> with people. Some? And it takes, you know, weeks and tons of meetings and this and that and lots of pushback and here and there when maybe in six months you've started. It's very right. amazing when when you're in a situation like this where there was no choice, there was no, all it was was a problem to solve. We were able to pull together, like many universities, and 
can reconfigure what we had to do for our students and we did it. So mm-hmm. I am very mm-hmm. inspired wow. by that and 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 Absolutely. fell in love with my community kind of all over again when this happened. So there's that. On, on the other side, I see a silver lining with respect to online education and the flexibility. I, I say online, but really it's the platforms on which we relate and teach our students hmm. has, it, it's got me all stirred up a, a little bit. I'm hmm. thinking I'll sometimes be wondering in a random moment, gee, I wonder if we could serve our students better, or maybe there's a new group of students that would want to come to Barry if we offered the program, mm-hmm. a program in this other way, whether it's completely online, whether it's in a hybrid blended. This has really made me rethink not rethink this, but think about it again and feel hopeful about that. In fact, I was thinking about, I I may have read this, isn't it interesting where you can now take this experience where everything was forced to go remote and we, and you know, my phrase is we kind of bubble gum and duct taped some things together to to make it (laughs) happen um, and make it happen with integrity. I think we can ask the question, hey, is there anything that we we had to adjust that we could then go the next step and turn that into a more fully online, legitimately online right. uh, course? I mean, not every course Don't is meant for right. that. I mean, there are certain kinds of experiential, face-to-face kinds of experiences that you just can't do that with very easily, at least. But maybe there are some where we wouldn't have considered it before. We could consider it now. Absolutely. I think that's very much a silver lining. Um, So anyway, you know, I find myself thinking about things like that. So uh, other than the, the, I see the potential and what the community is capable of. And then what other doors has it opened for us? Those are good silver linings from this experience. You know, I'm talking to a lot of faculty have been inspired almost because once the shock wears off, it is a unique opportunity to be forced to reconfigure and try new things. Yeah, I think we need to do that. I think if you're not a person who goes there and and thinks about what meaning can I make out of this situation, not to be Pollyanna-ish and being kind of kooky and delusional about it, but to be, you know, wait a minute, there is some, there's something to be garnered from this experience that can help us. I I think right. that's a really useful approach uh, in the midst of solving the problems, in the midst of the storm. Uh, right. you need, it really is helpful to take a moment, take a sidestep and go, wait a minute, there is something good here that we can use. Let's, yes. let's, let's write that down. Let's put that over to the right here and, and come back to it. So uh, that's a good Absolutely. way to get through it. Yep. Well, I agree. And I think a lot of faculty who would never have considered online education or a virtual classroom have been thrust into it and at least given some exposure to it. So it no longer sounds like this, this out of reach or this crazy thing to consider. So even if, you know, a lot of faculty yep. never go back to virtual classrooms, the, the fact that they've done it, they've tried and they've seen yeah. it, it kind of in the most stressful times what it could be really plants a lot of seeds. I think it does. I hope it hasn't left um, a bad taste in some people's mouths. But, you know, I I suspect it has for some because for whatever reason, you know, you can't get into everybody's situation. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day that said this is not a virtual classroom. This is emergency remote teaching. Yes. Yes, exactly. I found myself... 
reacting when, you know, the, the term online, it's like, well, you know, has your school gone online? It's like, no, I'm not going to say that. We have already have some programs that are truly online, but this, what we did with face-to-face classes is not put them online. We we transformed them so that they could be taught right. remotely. Now, maybe that's splitting right. hairs, but I don't think so. Really, truly online courses so have, they have a, there's a methodology, there's a platform, there is uh, standards, and, and there's all kinds of characteristics that, that we're not doing here. Uh, this was really right. a pivot that was scenario driven uh, by our current situation. So it's a little bit different. Uh, Absolutely. Where do you see education heading in this post-COVID-19 world? Where is education heading? My goodness, what a great question, man. There's going to be a lot of scholarly writing and analysis about this mm. situation in the future. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to do a, uh, a 180 and it's going to be completely, completely different. I actually don't think that's the right. case, but I think it will change. Uh we have had a taste the the higher ed community on the delivery end of it mm-hmm. has had to adjust to the situation it has sensitized us to what has to happen mm. To in order to deliver instructions in this way. So I am really interested in the analyses that will come out post-talk about this to, mm-hmm. uh, that will inform pedagogy, that will inform opinion and public opinion, because there are so many other factors, societal factors that, co, uh, that co-mingle with, with education. I mean, we're also taking a huge financial hit uh, employment-wise as a country on this. So right. it's hard to know what's, you know, what's due to what here, the causal factors. But right. That's right. That's education, right. education has had a taste of having to completely pivot and we have done it, which uh, will make a real difference. So I'm not sure where we're going to land in the end, let's say two, three, four years from now as a function of this, but mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to be the same. I really don't. Mm-hmm. We we know of our capacity to change, and this is a perfect illustration of it. And we will be changing. We will be changing. It's, right. it's absolutely necessary. Well, and that our pedagogy will be will have been informed by this crazy experiment and this crazy shift, and that there can be lessons learned or gleaned from that. Where, if anywhere, do you think you're still your team is still putting the pieces together? Where is there still room for answers that? haven't manifested themselves oh. yet. Oh, I think there's still a lot of room for answers. <laughs> I mean, we we're as we were talking about earlier, I mean, we've we've been solving the problems that have come in front of us. The big mm-hmm. uh, unknown right now is what will the fall look like? How will new students and how will returning students be, mm-hmm. be affected by this? Will they want to come back uh, in the same mm-hmm. vigor and enthusiasm that they had on the front end of this? We don't know the answer to That's that. Right. We're still engaging in a lot of scenario building, a lot of problem solving, a lot of thinking through what if this then what if that? How will we respond mm-hmm. as a uh, as a university community? How will we respond as a financial entity to all the right. different possibilities? So we have to we have a lot of work in front of us to do that, and time will reveal the parameters of this situation. Uh, and right. we're we're going to struggle through it because we want to know now, and we can't know now. Right. We have to 
do what we can, given the data we have, to make the best of decisions we can and, and manage the anxiety that goes along with it. Just like the leaders I spoke to last week, Barry University leadership is planning to be on ground in fall, provided they can do so safely. And they're having the hard conversations about making that possible. Conversations about creative scheduling, face masks, and a facilities plan to support a healthy return to campus. But Barry is also using the input from its task forces to plan for every eventuality as well. Did it give you comfort to know that provosts and other faculty members have to fight the urge to catastrophize? It did me. And how about hearing John's perspective on making hard budgetary decisions when the real solutions can't wait? We are human. We can't know it all. But we can rely on our peers and make the best decisions possible with the information we have. My last interview today is with Aaron Sear, the Director of Assessment Evaluation at Arizona College. If you're into data, Aaron's your guy. Arizona College is a year-round program featuring three 16-week semesters back-to-back. So when I caught up with Aaron, he was on his one-week hiatus before the 16-week summer term began. No summer off for this guy. I asked Aaron about Arizona College's remote testing response whenever classes first went online. Let's jump in there. So yeah, so we paused testing initially, and we kind of had two different plans in mind. Um, The first plan was because we didn't have any remote secure testing solution at the time. We thought, what if we can just adjust our tests? So let's minimize the amount of multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. Let's assume that all of our tests are open book, that students are going to be using, you know, their textbooks. We'll just, we already had a a pretty well-defined testing policy as far as timeframes. If a student is trying to look up every single answer, that takes a lot of time. Right. Right. They have to kind of, you know, rationalize what they're doing. So, and then we just, thought about, well, let's just include more essay questions, more of the alternative style questions, because that's going to at least still be able to meet our outcomes while not having that proctor there the whole time. After planning for operations without a remote proctoring service, Arizona College was able to quickly acquire and train on a remote proctoring service for their high-stakes assessments. Let's listen to how they proceeded with virtual classrooms and remote high-stakes assessments once they had a proctoring service in place. So now it's, you know, we're fully prepared for remote examinations in the future semesters. The good thing about kind of our culture and our organization is, you know, we had our faculty give us feedback right afterwards saying, hey, you know, I wish you would have done this a little better or spoken to this. And and then, you know, we took our feedback that we received and then Uh kind of went down the same road. And that one was much smoother because, you know, we had that feedback. Those best practices and lessons learned. That's awesome. Yeah. How are you and the leadership at Arizona College looking at fall and or your your next long semester? What are you envisioning? What we're planning on right now is basically through June. We're assuming that we're going to be remote through June. And we've implemented a lot of different resources and strategies. And many of them we had kind of already had plans to do. We're also right in the midst of a curricular revision is why we have already had planned on doing a lot of this. You know, we have a lot of resources and activities available. The biggest question, and it's kind of out of our hands, is what is going to happen with the hospitals and clinicals and getting Mm -hmm. them their hours. Mm -hmm. And for that, we just are altering our content and how it's laid out so that a lot of the hands-on skills where, or, you know, clinical hours, we're kind of front loading, you know, the virtual sims in the beginning so we can get as many of those hours done. And then Uh hopefully we'll have a clearer picture or idea, you know, come middle of summer to see kind of where we're going to fall as far as clinicals go. 
Okay, I, that's clever. So if I understand what you're saying, you're doing your virtual simulations and kind of front loading the more didactic coursework mm-hmm. so that in your fall semester, hopefully things have opened back up and that's when you can really have that clinical hands-on hospital interaction. Correct. You mentioned some resources and strategies that you've been planning on for a long time and COVID kind of had y'all press the go button now. Can you talk mm-hmm. to me about some of those resources and strategies? You can call me an optimist, but uh, this COVID, you know, how, however, how bad it is, it's kind of like a flipped classroom dream uh, hmm. because the evidence is there that flipped classrooms are highly successful. Um, but we still get stuck in this rut where we're doing the same old lecturing. And so we're taking, you know, subject matter experts from our college and using them to kind of decide what content and how it should be taught. The biggest question that we have, and it's kind of out of our hands, is mm-hmm. um, what are the boards going to decide as far as the clinical experience and allotting of hours? We've discussed what can we do, how, and we have the virtual sim resources and what can we offer. You know, as far as skills, um, we actually have some pretty, we've had a lot of like non-conventional ideas, you know, e- even like we make, you know, goodie bags of items, masks and gloves and all the stuff that we can kind of hand off, you know, have students just drive up, give them a brown bag full of resources and then, you know, do virtual skills. And so that's kind of something that we've been toying as far as ideas with. Um, there was also, I was recently speaking with some peers in NLN, but basically they discussed with hospitals and talked with them as far as can these students you know, who are just about to graduate, go and have an interview with the hospital. And, you know, if they succeed in the interview, they're going to have a position after they're graduating. And the hospital then will take over that clinical role for the last semester. Clever. So they're, they're going to get the clinical hours and then go into immediately after they graduate, pass the boards, and then they have a position right available. Right. Like an internship. Right. And so I guess the the main theme of all of this is, you know, this is definitely time to be flexible. Yes. And that's kind of how we're approaching the summer session and fall. You know, it's, it's doing things on the fly. Something changes. You have to roll with it because, you know, everything is kind of up in the air right now. And we're not really sure how a lot of things are going to pan out. So let me ask you this, Aaron, how is Arizona College, quote unquote, defining success? What does success look like right now? I mean, for, for me in the, the data aspect, it's, it's a lot of that same, right? It's, if, if we can provide our students with the same quality and level of education mm-hmm. um, that we were doing on ground, then I feel like that's a success all in, in itself. Um, you know, the data and, you know, NCLEX pass rates and stuff, that all comes as long as you're providing the education now. Right. That's the biggest key. If we can continue to meet our outcomes, provide the students with the, the tools, the resources, the supplies, keep them calm in this era of chaos, then I think we're doing very well. One thing that we really try to do is make sure that, you know, any resource, any activity, everything is mapped. If you do the front end work, it all pays off in the end. And this is a lot of what I kind of look at with my position is all of our assignments, activities, we want to make sure that there's some way that we can say, this is why our student and this is how they're meeting this either program outcome, course outcome. I don't think anyone is saying we should have less data for this. So, right, um, right. So that's what we're doing. And being remote or being on ground, it shouldn't really make a difference. The only caveat that you should think about when you're going remote is if you're implementing more activities, then you just need to think 
prior to implementing them, how are we implementing it? How is it meeting our outcomes? And how are we evaluating it? Like I said, our, our assignments all have rubrics. Um, our assessments are, are, are all mapped to, you know, our categories, BSN essentials, our program outcomes. And that's just something we're constantly working toward. And the data gathering is still uh, business as usual. So once the semester's over, I crunch all that data, put it into my spreadsheets so that we still have it. Mm-hmm. Well, what a fantastic message to send your students is every single activity, assignment, assessment has a purpose and it's not wasted because certainly assessment right now can be very stressful on students. Can you talk to me a little bit about maintaining kind of rigor and maintaining accreditation in this online environment? Whether you're on ground or remote, you have to continue the same level of evaluation and assessment regardless. So any assignment, new resources that you're implementing, map them outline them, create rubrics for them, really look at what you're giving to students and is it meeting the program outcomes and can you prove that? So you have to make sure that you're still adequately providing for, you know, the students and for the the higher accrediting bodies. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like data is what does that for your program. Yeah, data is definitely what does it. And it's making sure that it's all, you know, full circle. If something doesn't work out, you have to be okay with saying, you know, well, okay, well, this didn't work out. But it doesn't mean that that is worthless or the data is bad. It's just if you're going to change it or improve it, yes. show that. Show that you changed it and improved it um, yes. or show how you did it, right? So all of that is is what these accrediting bodies look for. They, they want to make sure that you're you're always looking for that quality improvement. I could not agree more. If you're responding to the data in a timely manner, in a logical manner, um, that's really what they're looking for. And in doing that, inevitably over time, you you take ground and you make gains. If it's built into the fabric of the faculty, right? If that's how your program right. operates. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, all, all of these changes, activities, resources should always be faculty driven. It shouldn't come top down because mm-hmm. like I am not directly teaching anymore. So why would I be the one that is dictating what faculty are doing? If a faculty th- said, tells me that something is not working, you know, who am I to say, no, you have to continue doing this, right? Let's work together and let's see how we can fix this. Right. And that's where, you know, always get your feedback and, and use the, the COVID-19 dilemma that we're in right now. Use this yes. as a time, a proponent of change, right? Yes. If something's not working, now is what better time than now to try something new? So Aaron, let me ask you this. You know, I know everybody's trying to cut the budget. Is there any tool or technology or product or service that that wasn't working the way you wanted it to? So we, in all honesty, haven't had a lot of things that have, you know, not fully worked out. And it was like I was saying earlier, if something isn't working, it's not necessarily a bad resource or a bad tool. It's just sure. maybe we're implementing it in the wrong way. I mean, what we're really looking for is usage and is that really value added? A big problem that we see is a lot of people will go through almost like resource fatigue where you have so many resources and especially now, right? We're all getting, you know, 20 emails and there is a a point in time where you have too much and then things stop being used and stop being utilized. It's more so look at what you have and see if you can use it better. Were there any other technologies or tools or products or services um, that became evident that were worth adding despite the budget headaches? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a consideration for us. Do we want to purchase more uh, resources, tools, if we're all going back on ground in two months Mm -hmm. and then we Mm -hmm. have all these things? So I think that's something that you have to think about is, if this is a solution that I'm going to be implementing now, am I going to continue to use this after we're on ground? Absolutely. Because because if, if I'm going to use it while we're on ground, then great. It's going to be beneficial to me in the years to come. But if I'm only going to mm-hmm. use this for a month or two, is it actually necessary or is it just kind of, you know, a little bit extra fluff? And you have your faculty buy-in because, I mean, who's going to be delivering the product, right? You can either, you know, purchase four new tools and not really use any of them that well, or you can purchase mm-hmm. one tool, really know it and understand it, faculty love it, and then that's going to maximize everything. And that really helps with the buy-in to make sure that they're on board with the new tools and resources. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if, if you're just rolling things out without really having them be well-versed in it, then ultimately they're probably not going to use it because right. they don't see the benefit in it, you know? Right. Right. Well, and it sounds like you have leadership that's open to taking suggestions from faculty um, into consideration as potential solutions. Right. It's that culture that you want to build and foster of it doesn't matter what your title says. We all have something to give and put on the table. Mm-hmm. And we're all in this field for the same reason. And we're all just trying to you know, deliver what's best for the students and, and a high level of education. Where do you see education going kind of post-COVID? I hope that we look at this and we analyze it and we say, you know, this online thing, if done properly, isn't too bad. I definitely always will see the merit in on-ground, you know, education, but there are a lot of resources and tools and and methods that we can do a strong flipped classroom fully online and still provide high quality education. So, and it, it, that in turn should only reduce overall cost of education because we don't have to pay for the site. So I'm hoping this is a push into the future of education where we can see that online different um, methods of administration and how we really think of the deliverables of education will change and alter. Because I do think that there are plenty of avenues that we can definitely improve on. Amidst all of this positivity, what do you think is the greatest risk facing the future of higher education kind of during this change or maybe after? You know, we, we can always, you know, give into the fear of what might happen or what could, what could happen, but that's all, you know, hearsay pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have mm-hmm. to, we have to look at what can I control? What can I change? And like I always say, right. Is it, is it, is it actually evaluating the outcomes and, you know, is it accessible? So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, is there something proving that? And that's what you have to do. Now is the time for positivity to move forward and to always look on that horizon in the future. Have that vision to say, okay, even though some crazy things are happening around us, how can we make the best of this? Thanks for tuning in to Pedagogo today. I hope these past two episodes have given you some good ideas for success in fall, some confidence, and some reassurance. These are scary and uncertain times, but despite the chaos, we have leaders and faculty who are making lemonade out of lemons. If you're stuck, don't hesitate to reach out and ask for help. As always, I'm your host, Allison Case. Stay safe and stay well.
Pedagogo, brought to you by ExamSoft, the assessment software that keeps security and integrity in your exams while providing you actionable data for your outcomes. When creating the testing seems tough, ExamSoft gives you rainbows so you can pass your students with flying colors. This podcast was produced by Allison Case and the ExamSoft team. Audio engineering and editing by Adam Karsten and the A2K Productions crew, including me, Keely Karsten. This podcast is intended as a public service for entertainment and educational purposes only and is not a legal interpretation nor a statement of ExamSoft policy, products, or services. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts or guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of ExamSoft or any of its officials, nor does any appearance on this program imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Additionally, reference to any specific product, service, or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by ExamSoft. This podcast is the property of ExamSoft Worldwide, Inc. and is protected under U.S. and international copyright and trademark laws. No other use, including without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of ExamSoft.